Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. This is a special episode recorded live at the first ever SheEO Global Summit hosted in Toronto, Canada on March 9th and 10th, 2020. The SheEO Global Summit was a two-day conference that gathered hundreds of people in support of the theme, Reorganize.World. What does this mean? Collectively, we have everything we need to make positive change. We took action together at Global Summit and continued working on the world's to-do list in a variety of sessions. Over the two-day conference, guests participated in keynote presentations, wisdom sessions, and get-to-action workshops, all centered around what we can do to reorganize our resources, systems, and structures to create a better world with CEO ventures and activators leading the way. This session is called Honoring the Torchbearers and Pathfinders Intergenerational Activation and features a diverse panel of powerful voices. Recorded live on the Wisdom Room stage, this panel discussion was moderated by Dr. Golnaz Golnaragi, founder of Divity Group Inc. and Accelerate Her Future. Golnaz's passion lies in helping to advance representation and leadership of self-identified women of color at all levels in organizations. Our panelists are a special duo, a mother and daughter, both CEO activators. Tira Fraser is the CEO of Esqueo Air. Becoming a pilot truly gave this Métis woman wings. Tira is the first Indigenous woman to launch an airline in Canada. Kiana Alexander is the COO of the Raven Institute. Kiana is a proud Métis Esqueo, storyteller, creative thinker, scholar, and researcher. In 2019, Kiana was named one of the Women's Executive Network's Top 100 Most Powerful Women in Canada in the Future Leaders category and in the Future of Goods list of 21 Young Impact Leaders. The inspiration behind this session comes from a thought Dr. Golnaragi shared. Many women before us have done the hard work to give us a better world. Whether they knew it or not, their courage touched the lives of future generations, women they never met, women they loved. We stand on their shoulders. CEO activators and ventures travel on the same paths, doing the hard work to build a better world for future generations, our daughters, nieces, granddaughters, and women we haven't met. In this panel, we will bring together generations of CEO activators, entrepreneurs, and leaders to share their stories and journeys while honoring the torchbearers and pathfinders in their lives and communities. Enjoy this dynamic conversation and wisdom session, honoring the torchbearers and pathfinders, intergenerational activation. Let's welcome to the stage, Dr. Golnaz Golnaraki. Good afternoon. How is everyone doing? We've had quite a full day of sessions. Um, thank you for joining us this afternoon. So my name is Golnaz Golnaragi. I'm founder of Accelerate Her Future. Thank you. And it is just a delight to be here today with this session. We, this is a wisdom session titled Honoring the Pathfinders and Torchbearers. And um, this session was really inspired by a few people, including my mom, which I'll share a little bit about in a second, and a very powerful mother-daughter who will join me on stage momentarily that I had the honor of meeting about four years ago uh, at uh, one of the activator sessions in Vancouver. And so how many activators do we have in the room, just by show of hand? Amazing. And I wanted to share a little bit about um, my own journey. I, I activated five years ago um, after hearing Vicky talk at a conference in San Francisco. And what really inspired me five years ago was we've heard her say she did a lot of imagine if, imagine the future, and I bought in right away 
because of my own experiences, but also seeing my mom navigate the ecosystem and a system that really wasn't working for all of us as women. And so it wasn't even a question that I would navigate and I wanted to be part of the transformation. But what I've observed year over year as I've um, engaged with this community is how much uh, my own reasons for activating and being a part of this has really transformed. And so thinking about how the role we all play as activators here, not to win, but to transform is connected to our past, is connected to our present and this community that we're in relationship with. And also in the last session that, uh, for those of you that might have been in this room, it's really about the state of things that we leave for generations to come. And so that's sort of, I feel like we're, we're kind of picking up on the last session if you were in this room and we're going to explore the intergenerational piece around why we're here today. Does that sound good? All right. So, before uh, we get started, I'd like to introduce you to our panel members. So we have with us, and I'll introduce them and they'll join in a second. So we have Tira Fraser, who is the CEO of Esquayo Air. Have any of you heard about Esquayo Air? Amazing. So becoming a pilot gave this uh, Métis woman wings literally, and Tira is the first Indigenous woman to launch an airline right here in Canada called Esquayo Air. We also have her daughter, a delight to introduce Kiana Alexander, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the Raven Institute based in Vancouver. And uh, Kiana is a proud Métis Esquayo, a storyteller, creative thinker, scholar, researcher, all-around amazing human and soon-to-be wife. And in 2019, Kiana was named WXN's top 100 uh, most powerful women in the future leaders category, which is so appropriate for the session as well. And also, I, my eyes can't see, the future of goods list of top uh, leaders of impact. So if we could give them a warm round of applause and welcome them. Pretty wild, isn't it? All right, love the dancing. <laughs> so, actually, did we did we plan this? <laughs> I love it too. No, 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 no. Leave them up. So how are you? Thank you for being on this panel. Thank you. Before we dive in into their story, I want to share a photo of my mom. She was one of the inspirations behind this panel um, as we sort of talked and I heard their story as I sort of navigated why am I a part of this community. Um, a little bit about our relationship before we delve into this beautiful relationship is we immigrated here back in the early 1980s. Um, it wasn't by choice. We had to. Um, we're originally from Iran. And after the revolution, or you know, sort of around that when we came here, later on I learned from my mom that she thought that we would move back in, in six months. Forty years later, we're still here. And we literally left with suitcases and some money. And after a while, when that ran out and the prospects of moving back wasn't an option, this woman that you see on the screen, and I will not cry, um, found uh, sort of her self-empowerment through entrepreneurship. And her purpose in life um, was to support her kids so we could get through high school in order for us to have opportunities kind of pass that. That was her sole mission. No high school diploma, very little English, no knowledge of business really within a Canadian context, yet connecting to her community and her customers as they started to kind of show up and quite frankly, her kids, like we were there to help her as she needed to. I helped build her marketing campaigns when it needed to help. It was a team effort. And so um, she's given me a lot, right? I'm here because of her. And for me, that intergenerational piece and, and why I engage with CEO has a lot to do with the woman that you see on the screen. 
Yeah, and so let's uh, focus now on these two beautiful women. And so um, I met Tira and Kiana four years ago in Vancouver when we hosted an Activator event. And I remember when I met both of you, um, it was first I think at a Deloitte session and then an event that we hosted. I, I couldn't stop hugging you, number one. Like, I don't know what it was. Like, I just couldn't stop hugging her. She just has this incredible energy that you just want to hold on to. And as I sort of observed their journey over the last four years, which we'll hear about, it's really quite inspiring from that intergenerational piece. And very recently, um, they were the first mother-daughter to be recognized on the WXN Most Powerful Women's List. So if we could give them a round of applause. That's quite something. I'm just curious, what was that experience like? Well, at first I thought, like, it's just the first time in the same year, right? And they're like, no, ever. I was like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Very articulate answer. Um, I think, you know, I think as with many things, Tira and I do mostly everything together. Um, and I think it was amazing and it was uh, a super powerful moment. Um, and it also can be challenging. And a lot of things that we talk about with our dynamic um, there can be sometimes, and it's different in different spaces. Spaces of women are different. Spaces, uh, indigenous spaces are different. But in a lot of spaces, um, a lot of people treat me less than as soon as I'm with Tira. So it's, and it's not intentionally. It's out of this like, oh, not that I won the award, but oh, what's it like working with your mom? Oh, what's it like? Not, you know, not about me, not about, and it's not, and, I, and so with this award, I think it was really um, beautiful to be honored for our unique things that we bring and to also, you know, own that space and, and celebrate one another and the inextricable roles that we've played in, in supporting each other in, in all the things that we do. Um, I would not be um, proud of who I am in the way that I am. I would not be, um, you know, taking the path to really explore who I am in the the, the legacy that I want to have um, in impacting the lives of young people across the country without um, her. And I mean, she probably wouldn't do a lot of cool things about me either, so. It's <laughs> actually a really nice transition to my next set of questions. Um, certainly, like, in, in speaking with you and doing a lot of reading about your stories yeah. and whatnot, um, I find that your, your, your stories are so interconnected yet so independent at the same time. Um, learning more and more about you, you're both convention breakers and talk about trailblazers in your own right with the many firsts that you've been able to kind of put out there. And I'm curious, um, maybe seeing the world through each other's eyes and maybe starting with Kiana first, what have you learned sort of observing Tira's journey as a mother, as a leader, as an entrepreneur? She's not afraid. She's not afraid. And she, you know, she often tells the story of, do you want to tell it? Go. I think you tell it. And then I'll... What story are we telling? I'll correct you, probably. <laughs> she will. Um, she keeps me on the... No, she tells the story of um, when she d came home from Africa and decided to oh. become a pilot. Oh, yeah, I can tell that. And I was, how old was I? Nine. Nine. So at nine years old, and I remember it so clearly, I was so full of judgment as a kid. I was like, you make crazy decisions. I was so self-assured at nine years old. And, um, and so I said, and the, you can see it in almost every interview Tira's had, that I said at nine years old like that, um, do you really think it's practical to be a parent and a pilot? Um, and um, the answer is still no, it is not. Um, but it's, it does, it's a really beautiful, I think, 
vision um, and, and clear depiction of how our relationship is. Tara is um, unafraid to do things differently, unafraid to risk things, unafraid to be judged. Um, and I um, am much more pensive, contemplative, um, see, try and look at all the different uh, things that will be impacted and affected in a, in a decision or a position or an idea. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, I'm, and I, I said to her, um, not just no, but no, honey, this is the least practical thing I've ever done. And I want to show you that if your heart comes to life about something, anything, that you just don't let anything stand in your way. And I'm going to show you that because this is going to be hard. And it's going to be hard for everyone. And in that, I hope that you see the ability to achieve things that seem impossible. That's very powerful. We, all, we often hear and we've heard throughout the last day or so, you can't be what you can't see. And in a lot of ways, um, when we have mothers in our life who can do that and, and show us what really believing in yourself is all about, it's pretty powerful. Thank you. Um, what have you learned from this amazing human? <laughs> yeah. Like all the time. So, and I will add on the earlier piece. Um, we have different last names. Mm. And so we actually had the privilege of trying things, because I would notice, right, that um, we have different names, everybody you'd introduce, uh, everything's great, everybody's just seen for their own humanness, people are curious. And in certain spaces, in dominant thinking spaces, as soon as one would learn she was my daughter, like you could literally watch them pick her up and put them, her in a, in a box beneath. And, like, if that isn't an indication of our messed up thinking. And so, we have different last names, so people didn't know we were mother and daughter, and it, that didn't happen. And I think we've, it's such a beautiful place that we're in to now, you know, share an award together, share a stage together, be really proud and excited. But we, we have to honor our young people in no, in no time, in no space are they less than. They are the wisdom keepers. They're the knowledge holders. They are, um, they are not this idea of leaders of tomorrow. They are, they are leading today. Kenna is leading all the time. She's, well, she's, uh, she's like full doing like donut circles around me now. Um, <laughs> she is. And so what she teaches me is to be so um, thoughtful and caring about all the people in the world. Me, I'm just stuck out there doing my own thing, and she's like... It does look like that. <laughs> Fun, going flying. And, <laughs> and she's just like, you're not paying attention to these things. You need to pay attention here. You need to pay attention there. Uh, she teaches me... Uh, everything all the time. I did an interview recently where the media person was like, oh, it must be so incredible for your daughter to learn from you. And I'm like, mm, no, no, you got it backwards. Like, I'm learning from her all the time. And the courage that she's shown in particular in the recent years um, is inspires. She inspires me all the time. She's way cooler than me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I love that. That was good. Just kidding. <laughs> so, I mean, building on this theme of courage, um, as you've observed Tira sort of navigate her path as an entrepreneur and, and human, um, and, and likely the challenges that she may have encountered, not only as a woman, but you know, based on all the overlapping aspects of who we are, um, 
what have you learned by watching her navigate and also likely playing a role, you know, as, as, as part of family in that? So any learnings that you can share? Yeah, I think um, one in particular to being an entrepreneur, and I think it plays into everything Tira does, but um, she just is so resilient. Um, there's so many times, particularly with the launch of Esquio Air still, um, where it would have been so much easier to give up, like for everybody. How many entrepreneurs have those moments when you feel like, you, I know I have, <laughs> daily? <laughs> B has never had that. She, never. Never. Um, and I think uh, for me, the level of perseverance, and she says, you know, she has everyone that knows Tira knows that um, Tira has a lot of self-proclaimed isms, um, one of which is dream it, design it, do it, another of which is just keep moving. That's when she pulls on a lot when things are really hard. Um, and when the day is too hard, uh, she leans on just try again tomorrow. But in all of that, it's just about persevering and, and moving and not, not because there's something to prove or not because, but from a place of really believing that if we can just keep moving, something different is possible. Thank you. And Tiara, so as you think about what's just been shared and you think about what life was like when you were in your late 20s or early 30s, have you seen things change for women of today, for, for the younger generations? Um, like, do you notice a difference? Has, has anything changed? I don't know. That would be one of the things she teaches me is to be with, I don't know, a little more comfortably. I have no idea. And I don't know what it's like for young people. I'm not sure. You know, I, I get a glimpse of that through Kiana's experience, certainly. Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, like, I'm in an industry literally where we call the working space the cockpit. Actually, <laughs> it's not funny. Like Vicky, the other day we were talking about it, and I said something about the cockpit, and she's like, "They call it. It is called a cockpit. That is crazy." Um, where you know, less than three percent of um, leadership in aviation is women. Um, Two point three percent of airline pilots in Canada are women, and and. Um, what I will share that's coming for me right now, though, is when I moved into aviation, I was like, I don't know why we're having all of this gender talk so much. Like, I think we're, we're fine. Um, and certainly that is not, not the case. And it's even more so now around, um, uh, around all, all gender and respecting all people. And so I don't know if it's gotten better or not. Um, but what I do know for sure is that we need to really keep moving and we need to dream it, design it and do it the kind of world that we want to live in and, and then just make it happen. I think... Just, I missed something. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I think, you know, in thinking about what has gotten better and, you know, I think, I think that's a hard question to answer um, because what is better? I think it's different and it's changing. And even in witnessing Tira's own journey of, you know, starting in an industry and repressing um, any, any parts of herself or leaving in exile, any parts of herself that weren't reflected in the industry to coming as far as naming an airline a square air. So I think, is that better? Is it is it maybe, maybe not? Is it, is it reclaiming and transforming in even one person's journey in a really non-traditional field, although what is traditional? Um, yeah. Amazing. And I, when I reflect on my own mom's experience and I think about how she kind of stepped into entrepreneurship as a way of supporting us primarily, there were no communities like this. She didn't have a CEO whatsoever. And to me, what 
you know, I reflect on what I've learned from her is the resilience as well, her ability to take risk, certainly more so than I ever could. And that's something that she constantly reminds me and my, my sister of. Um, but I also imagine um, what are the poss- what could the possibilities have been for her if she had access to communities like this? Um, yet she still did it, right? And so there's a lot of power in, in, in that as well for, for all who have. Um, so I listened to one of your talks uh, from last year where you talked about how really... Um, connecting to your identity, sort of reclaiming your identity has been quite a journey. And again, very much interconnected to your mums as well. And how this, you know, reconnection, um, you've you've felt a lot of different things, but it's been a really powerful and very important part of kind of the path that you've taken. And I'd love to start with Tira. Um, Would you be willing to share a little bit about your journey of relearning and reconnecting with your Indigenous history, language, culture? It is, um, I mean, where a really significant part of my journey where when you have your own kids, you're like, hmm, I better figure out a little bit better who I am and where I come from because I'm going to have to talk to them about that. You just have a different um, motivation or inspiration to like really understand uh, deep roots. And uh, I was disconnected from my Indigenous culture in a couple of different ways. Um, My grandfather was a residential school survivor uh, who never returned to his community nor had any um, uh, connection, didn't speak about it, um, or even acknowledge his own indigeneity. And then uh, my father um, died when I, at 27 years old, when I was three and a half. So there was a couple um, pieces of, of disconnection there. And so I went to a family reunion, and I'm like, well, oh, my mom always told me. She tried to connect me with my cultural um, peoples and history uh, to the best that she could, but I just was having none of it. I'm like, I look like my mom, more like my mom, and I'm like, that's a long time ago, or that seems so far back. And I learned the same as everybody else learned in our, our country, nothing about our indigenous peoples or the history of, of colonization. So I went to the, the um, uh, family reunion and I'm like, my like immediate relatives like speaking Cree. And, hmm. and I thought, wow, this was part of the family that was less impacted by, by colonization and therefore um, was able to be in that in a very different way. And so this started a journey. I started on a spiritual journey. I dragged my poor kids to like a different church like every weekend for I don't know how long. Well, let's try this. Well, let's try that. And because uh, I was looking for, for something spiritual. And I went to uh, Powell for the first time. And I still wear it on, on this side over here. I was like so moved. I can, if I close my eyes, I can see sitting um, on the grass and I can smell the salmon being... Um, uh, prepared in a in a traditional way, and I can hear the drums, and I can feel my heart beating uh, in a way it had never beat before. And I knew then, um, in that moment, uh, who I was. I remembered who I was. And I went to, uh, they had like the artisan stand, right? Shopping, amazing. But as I was sitting there, I was really moved. Like we have to listen to our deeper knowing, right? Like it was almost like somebody grabbed me by the hand and was, was taking me around. And I just followed it. I trusted it, maybe for the first time ever. And I go to this artisan stand and I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful ring. I'm going to put that on. And then I asked him, I said, okay, how much is that? He said, $65. I gave him the $65. And then I said, what does it mean? And he said, uh, that's the hummingbird. And when you see the hummingbird, healing will begin. And that is exactly what happened. And it is that connection with my culture. When they say that culture saves lives in this country for these peoples, I'm sure globally, when they say culture saves lives, it actually, actually saves lives. And um, 
So that's a little bit about that. I have a follow-up question. So <laughs> <laughs> you also talk uh, a fair amount about warriorship. Mm -hmm. And so how is that reconnection to culture connected for you for reclaiming the warrior um, and what you talked to around leading brave-hearted? So I'm still I'm still learning that I'm on a learning path. Um, that's what I'm exploring in my PhD work is how are Indigenous change makers remembering, reclaiming, practicing, and integrating warriorship, and not the dominant colonial idea of warriorship. I define warriorship as standing fiercely with deep love for what matters, and I can only imagine what is possible in our world when all of us are standing fiercely with deep love. For the things that matter. Thank you. And over to Kiana, can you also share how you've reconnected as part of this journey back to your own roots and culture? Um, yeah, I think I pause when you ask that question because um, it's something that I am in every minute. Um, it's not a journey that started at one time and has ended, I think, um, in every interaction with people and every, um, in, in the interactions and relationship that I have with myself, um, I think I'm constantly co-creating what that journey is for me. What I know for sure is that, um, being able to speak proudly of who you are being able to be in relationship um, with yourself even, where you do not need to put any part of who you are in exile, when you do not need to leave a story or a history or an experience of you or where you come from or who you come from um, outside of yourself, outside of a room. Um, I think that plays of groundedness and connection allows us to thrive. Um, what I also think is that uh, we live in a time and we live in a place where Indigenous youth are the youngest, fastest growing demographic across this country who have been robbed of the ability to be grounded in that. And that we all have a strong responsibility to restore that, um, and that requires us all uh, to understand our own relationship and our own role in that. I've been really challenged recently with the idea, um, and I know people say it out of, out of love and good intent of young people are the leaders tomorrow and they're going to get us out of this mess, and um, young leaders are absolutely the leaders of tomorrow and today, and we all have a role um, in supporting them to be able to do that. When I think about um, supporting young people in in loving and being who they are, whatever that looks like, um, we each have a role. Can you tell us, I know you're in the midst of your master's thesis right now, and, and she's doing research speaking with youth across the country. And so can you tell us a little bit about what that, re what, what are they saying? Like, what is the research that you're doing telling us about the voices of youth, and in particular, Indigenous youth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's research that I'm involved in that's across the country, um, and then that my my little research, my own little research, um, is just uh, in in the city of Vancouver with young people exploring this concept. Um, and one of the biggest things that comes up in in all of that is that the root of belonging um, is connection, and the root of us being able to be connected. Um, land has an inextricable role in that, in, in nurturing and understanding our connection to self, uh, because belonging exists within us, around us, and between us. Um, but we can't have it if we can't have all three. So I think it's a process of exploring and understanding that land is an inextricable role in, in how we move forward. So... I'm going to kind of break convention, and we we have another segment, but I feel like we can stop here for any comments or questions. And what I will add is, as 
I have to call it out, as a settler, right, as an immigrant who had no choice but to come here, and very grateful to be able to come here, who was also disconnected from land very much, right? I find it quite powerful in that absolutely I, I agree that we all have a role to play. Um, maybe us today were not responsible for uh, the brut brutalities of the past, yet we all play a role in decolonizing, whatever that means, and we'll try to define that. Um, but when I also look at my own immigrant experience, I really, really connected to a lot of what you shared in one of your talks around having one foot in one land or culture, one in the other, and not really knowing where I belong. And also, actually, B's comment from earlier, a session earlier, saying that a lot of this work often starts with doing a lot of deep inner work, uh, which goes back to what you both describe in terms of reconnecting to the past and, and really, you know, the healing that we need to do. And so, um, it's also gives me so much hope because the conversations that we have today didn't exist a few years ago. Like we're, we're actually putting things out very, very openly and, and having these important discussions, which is, is a great place to be. And so as we kind of finish off and, and uh, maybe explore what um, we can all do, what role we can all play for creating spaces where there is unbound belonging, I'm just curious, are there any comments or questions from the audience before we transition into that? Any questions for our panel or what unbound belonging means to all of us as, as we kind of navigate community together? I do a lot of work with my daughter. Uh, she has a, her own business and, and I guess listening to you speak here, I'm reminded that I need to... Um, uh, she doesn't speak herself up enough. And maybe that's because, you know, she's under mum's shadow and I don't want her to be under that. And so I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I've sub subconsciously put her there or others have, but she's no longer going to be there after today. We, we often talk about it like we're good. It's sometimes the, the it's projected yeah, things that are projected. Like we're, we're awesome. Yeah, like I'm great. There is, <laughs> there is no shadow, you know. No. But, I, but it is a real, and it, it has taken me, you know, and it, by no part of Tira. And, and part of the biggest challenge is that it's not, it's not about it's not about this relationship. It's about the treatment and the change of treatment from, and then it has, it has impacts because it can't not, right? Um, and I think it's, it has taken a lot for me to really own, um, and Tira does it all the time in every space of um, challenging the narrative that we are absolutely equals and that we are constantly reciprocally learning from one another. And it has taken me a lot of work to be like, I am just as worthy of every conversation or every um, that that she has had and that we bring different things and we're not the same. There's a lot of things that are the same, but we also have a beautiful amount of unique differences. Uh, and I'm, I'll, I'll speak to that now. I don't know if it's somewhere else, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it's like, because we are a lot alike, and we used to joke about her being a mini-me, but again, that's diminishing, right? So, and what we're learning to do is is to really actually amplify our differences. Mm. rather And celebrate them. And celebrate them, absolutely. And so I think of it like, uh, even if you want to, you know, close your eyes and, and think about uh, our tree relatives, and think about how um, they're all interconnected under the earth, and they're similar in so many ways, and they're the same, and they're part of, they're one. And then they're also standing beautifully as individual trees, unique, and beautifully different, and, and that's how I think about Kiana. We're both completely connected in such unimaginably powerful ways, and we're unique 
and we're different. We need a mic right there. Um, <clears throat> I was, I would love to you to speak about freedom. And like when you feel freedom in your hearts and souls to be deeply yourselves and that sense of belonging and what is the ingredient of freedom? How does that play into some of the work that you do um, with people, you know, but also with yourselves? There's just an important word that you brought up, Kiana, in some of our conversations and it's so powerful and surprising the way you think about it. Thank you. Um, one of the most, uh, and Nicole, I just want to point out Nicole, because Nicole's also been an inextricable part of all my work on, on belonging. And so she's, she's just as beautiful amount of wisdom as a part of everything that I'm about to say. Um, I, in exploring the concept of belonging with young people, um, we did it through different mediums. We did art, art space methods, we did body mapping, we did storytelling. And one of the most beautifully surprising parts of it was, was the exploration of freedom in how so deeply interconnected relationship to self, relationship to others, and just as importantly, relationship to land is to freedom and to belonging. And when we look in a global context, so many of us have been stripped of connection to land. And so we've been stripped of freedom. And freedom comes in so many different ways and so many different relationships to land. But part of that experience is also for me, and I had a really profound experience of learning this kind of experientially as I was writing my research, was that um, reclamation of all being so deeply worthy of connection to land. And that land doesn't ask us to be different. Land doesn't ask us to leave pieces of ourselves outside or fit into a box or be smaller or be bigger or be, land just lets us be. And that is so free. And when we're stripped of that, or when we don't know how to do it, or we feel like we've lost the ability to do it, or that somehow we're doing it wrong, we're, we're constraining and confining our ability to be connected to ourselves, to each other, and to the land. And there's a reason why we feel that way. And I think we're collectively in a process, and young people are collectively leading that process of reclaiming it. So I'm going to actually open this up to the entire room. Um, and the question that comes forward for me is each of us individually and collectively, um, based on what we've heard, what role can we each play, not only in, in building that community for ourselves, for each other as a community, but also for generations to come? And it's open to the panel and the room. I think I'll go back just a little bit and then we can skip back ahead again because this idea of freedom. Um, I literally have the word liberty tattooed on my foot because it's so important to all of us. Just to be liberated, and that's what we're asking to be as women here, as Indigenous peoples, as, as everyone, is we want to be connected and we want to be free. Hi. Um, I think that it, uh, a lot of it starts too with just like healing of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, imagine what that would look like if we all took the, or had the resources and the support and the community to do that healing. Um, I think for non-Indigenous folks that are wondering what they can do, I think it starts by just like reading some books, 
Tanya Talaga, um, lot, you know, Split Tooth, like as like Tanya Tagak. There's just lots of there's lots of reading we can do to educate ourselves first. Um, that I think can then help us look at the connections of the ways in which we can indigenize the future and indigenize our way of thinking and teaching. Uh, that also removes that appropriation aspect of things, but really just sees how everything is really connected and how the past informs the future. And um, I, I mean, like, that's some of the approaches that I've taken. Um, and I think, especially just understanding that concept of borrowing. We're borrowing from the future. Um, but coming back to my original point, I think one of the most, um, I think, influential things we can do is focus on the ways in which we can heal ourselves first. Thank you for that. And when, and when we um, heal ourselves, or um, the teaching that I've received now from a beautiful Maiti elder is uh, the aim for collective restoration. And when we restore ourselves, we're restoring the seven generations that came before us. Healing, if you prefer. We're restoring the seven generations to come after us. And it is, the potential is uh, collective. We're all connected to ourselves. So actually when, when we heal ourselves or restore ourselves, we're doing that mm -hmm. for all others as well. There's so much power and possibility in that. Thank you. On that note, I'd like to thank, oh, one more question. Do we just, have time? One yeah, more question. One quick one. Yeah. Okay. okay. Great. I just want to say that like the Kiana's research and part of that is super integral in moving forward and discussing more of what belonging means to young people and you know people in this room and opening it up to people who have in influence and advice for for us who are kind of navigating this weird sphere of oh what does it mean to be me or in this place now that's changing um, in a positive way, I hope, and possibly not fast enough, but that's, you know, that's what we're doing. And so more work like Kiana is doing is, is really, really important. I think that's such an important point around amplifying the work that, um, the research and work for sure. Was there a hand somewhere else? Great. Hi, uh, thank you for do giving this talk because I had written actually in the, the CEO feedback of when I registered, I always appreciate conferences that pay attention to the intergenerational aspects of inclusion. And here we are, so manifestation works. <laughs> and so I, um, just by nature over the years, I own a soft skills training company and intergenerational understanding has come up a lot. And then the other half of my life and my research is about social media's impact on mental health. And I work with a lot of youth right now. And one of the things I'm saying in both circles, I find, is actually working with parents or educators who want to understand youth, but are also honestly really battling their own judgments and misconceptions or unconscious biases about youth. And it might quite literally sound like, oh my God, kids these days. Or, my God, you're so sensitive. Like in all of these worlds, all the time, or screens, like, oh, there's so much. Or you can't. Um, they're not resilient. And so I have my own strategies, but I would love to hear, especially from Tara and even you and really everybody else, what strategies do you use to remind yourself to respect both, I guess all generations, I should say, not just young people, but, but do you have any intentional strategies that you use that you can share to remind yourself to respect and show respect for, for young and old and everything in between? Yeah, there's a real simple thing for me, um, and it comes from the place of, uh, of building bridges between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples, because I hear all the time, how can I help? I want to help. And as soon as I started telling people, the very first and simplest thing you can do is shift from helping to honoring. So whether it's young people, we, it, it, all of us, like if we just shift to honoring, honoring each and every one of us and honoring that, that the gifts are certainly different generations have different gifts and let's honor them all. I think for me, one of the, one of the things that I come back to and I really reflect on how we 
how we shifted um, is a lot of the teachings that, that I've been given and a lot of the stories that I've been told <clears throat> were like as adults um, or as elders in, in previous ways of being in relations, sole responsibility was to witness the gifts of young people and support the cultivation and nurturing of those gifts because it impacts everybody. And when we're able to, you know, and I think that's a part so much of, you know, putting one another and pieces of one another in exile is actually saying that your gift is wrong or it's not right or being sensitive is wrong or being on a screen is wrong. It's being, it's allowing interconnection to a whole different reality and way of being. And that if we were to able to really nurture and honor um, the gifts and understanding that it's interconnected to each and every one of us. We're not separate from young people or separate from elders, but we do have different roles. Um, and that the real role of young people is not supposed to be, nor should it be, the role of adults or the role of elders. That we all have rightful and respectful roles, and they don't need to be the same. I don't want them to be the same. No one. We're all doing great. Everyone is doing like, great. Don't jam me in your box. I won't jam you in mine. I don't even have a box. <laughs> I will add, as an educator, um, one of the things that I've done differently is to meet with an Indigenous um, expert in sort of pedagogy, and I've built Indigenous values through their guidance into my courses, very strength-based. It's, it's changed my practice, quite frankly. And, and going back to an earlier panel, um, I hear within an academic environment from those that teach around, I mean, it's rampant, the, the views around younger generations or whatnot. It's really nuts. It's nuts. And so, I, 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 again, I call people in to have those conversations. And for me, um, I will work with millennials, Gen Z, youth, any day. Okay, I promised you I'd have yeah. your back yeah. if we got tight on time, and I'm are get, we done. I'm, uh, we're done. Thank you. We are done. <laughs> so this has been um, a, a wisdom conversation. We we have to go to the other room fairly quickly, from what I'm told. So if you do want to connect with our panelists, let's we we can take it to the other room. We'll all stay behind. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a special episode of SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world, a SheEO Global Summit edition.